Over the past several weeks, we've been defining church. And the reason that we took the time to define church was so that we would have a better grasp of what it was, not only to understand the the church universal, but to understand the church local and how our lives are woven into that, the importance of that in our lives. And we've talked about We've talked about worship, and here's the difference. If we come to understand just what the church is and how we are woven into the church, then our worship actually changes. It's just not a place to show up on Sunday mornings for an hour of our time. Worship then becomes for us an anticipation. It's kind of weird the things I wake up thinking on Sunday morning, and the Really, it's rare that I wake up thinking, oh God, it's Sunday again. It's rare that I wake up thinking that. This morning, I woke up with, some of you are old enough to remember this, the Carly Simon song, Anticipation. Now, some of you remember it because of the ketchup commercial. And, you know, the thick ketchup won't come out of the bottle. But I woke up thinking about that song And I really began to get excited, not about Carly Simon, but anticipating what God could do, what God wants to do in our lives and in our church through our time of worship together. And so as we begin to understand what the church is and how we're woven into the life of the church, we begin to recognize that worship is for us a gathering together to celebrate what we've been experiencing all week. As we've watched the sunrise, if we've watched the beauty of the sunsets, if we've heard the rain on the roof, if we've counted the blessings of God in our lives and wondered over his power and magnificence and might, as we've done that, when we come on Sunday morning, this should be like the, the, the uh, now not, I know not many of you drink champagne, but you've seen the, the cork fly off the bottle of champagne, right? That should be the unleashing of our worship on Sunday morning as we come with that anticipation. And it only happens when we truly understand what the church is and how we fit into the church. Of course, it's not all about worship. How does your serving change? If you truly understand what the church is and what Jesus gave himself up for the church, if we understand that, then our service becomes more than something we do out of guilt. It becomes something we do out of our heart's desire to humbly serve other people because we have a Savior who served us, who exemplified it not only in washing the feet of his disciples, but in going to a cross and dying for us. And when we share Jesus, it's not something we have to do simply because someone preached a sermon on witnessing. It's something that we want to do because we recognize that I was once dead and I've now been brought alive in Christ. I was once in darkness and blindness and now I've been given light and I can see in Christ. And because of that, and because I recognize that eternity is a long, long time and that everyone's going to spend their eternity either in heaven or hell. Now I'm motivated by compassion to go into reach into people's lives and to share with them the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel that I've embraced. It makes a difference when we understand what the church is and how we fit into it. And last week we talked about our discipleship growing as disciples in Jesus. And and that's changed when we understand that we're part 
I'm not just to do this on my own. I'm not flying solo, but I have a group of people who want to come around me to help me learn, to help me grow, who will hold me accountable, who will pray for me, who will encourage me all along the way, who will correct me when I'm wrong. And then I also do that in their lives. It's a beautiful thing. When we think about who the church is and how we fit into it and the implications it has for our lives. And we've been saying all along that it helps us to redefine church for the world. We began talking about how the church has this work, uh, how the world has this warped definition of the church. I have a friend from high school. We reconnected on Facebook, which is an interesting vehicle and uh, so I, I get to read what the things that she posts, and of course she gets to read the things that I post. And I doubt she'll ever listen to the sermon, so I think I can say this without offending anyone. She does not care much for church or Christians or God for that matter. She knows an occasional Christian that isn't bad, but for the most part, she didn't want anything to do with them. And I don't know what's happened along her way. She's given me some vague generality. She's never given me anything specific, and I've asked her. But there's something, some switch in her life that got flipped, and, and she says, I don't, have anything, I don't have any use for those church people. Church is just all a bunch of hypocrites. They're all liars. They're all deceivers. They're all a bunch of frauds and fakes. And I wish I could change your mind. I wish I could change your opinion. But I may be hammering on a rock. I'll just never crack. But there are lots of people around you in your community who live in your neighborhoods. People you go to school with. People you work with. If you're living out a genuine Christian life as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can begin to redefine for them what church means so that they may be responsive to an invitation, an opportunity to connect may completely change their ideas and their mentality about what church is. Now today we want to take one more step as we consider the church in the fellowship. That is how we relate to one another. And for that, I have brought in some special guests. Our powerhouse kids. Now this, I didn't give them a lot of advance notice on this. So be patient with them. But they are going to help us to understand from Scripture. They're going to bring out some principles for us on what it, remain, what it means for the church as we relate to one another. So let's give ear to their words this morning. We are members of one another. Romans twelve five. So in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Bear with one another. Build up one another. Care care for one another. Carry one another's burdens. Um, Comfort one another. Confess faults to one another. Be devoted to one another. Encourage one another. Fellowship with another, one of another. Forgive one Greet one another. Be honest with one another. Honor one another. Show hospitality to one another. Be kind to one another. Love one another. 
Pray for another one. Be in unity with, with one another. Serve one another. Spur on to one another. Submit to other Would you stand and join hands with us as we pray and thank God for this one another fellowship that he provides for us? Lord God, as we are connected to one another, we recognize that this is more than just a physical symbol. This is how you want us to be. This is how you made us to be. Not individuals loosely connected, bumping into each other from time to time, but people who are intimately connected, shoulder to shoulder, back to back, face to face, serving together, sharing together, worshiping together, learning together, growing together, loving one another, and all these other one another's that we just heard about. God, make us like that for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the lost, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank our powerhouse kids for coming up and helping us. Good job. These are the things we teach our kids, and it's important. And they need to learn early on the value of being a part of a church body. And so this is just part of the process. Now, if you'll remember last week, we talked about uh, you taking personal responsibility for your own spiritual growth. I'm sure some of you remember that. In your handout, you will find those phrases that we just put up on the, the screen You'll find those phrases and the scripture verses that go along with it. Has everybody got one of those? Okay, that is not intended just to be a bookmark. Are they in there? Okay, good, good. Everybody's awake. Okay, this is for your own personal spiritual growth. This is an opportunity for you to take these, to go home, to look them over, to pray about them, and ask yourself two questions. God, what am I on this? What am I doing well at? And then thank him for the things you're doing well at. But the other one is to ask, God, where do I need to improve? Where am I falling short on this? Would you help me to move forward in that area? And so this is, this is a, a little bit for your personal spiritual growth. In the New Testament, when a person came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were baptized and they were brought into the life of a local church. That's key for us. And that's why we focused on one another this morning. There's so many people that have the impression, okay, I'm a Christian. I don't really need the church. The church is not just optional. The church is not even necessary. I can just as easily stay home on Sunday morning and watch Charles Stanley or catch Andy Stanley if I'm a little more hip on the internet. I can just as easily catch Joel Osteen or Joyce Myers one evening during the week. I really don't need the church. I've got Jesus, and I've got my TV friends, and I really don't need the church. Really? 
Maybe that should be part of your prayer life if you're reading through those verses this week. Do, is, this, is that the way I think about it? Let me share one verse, uh, of, actually three verses of Scripture with you from Hebrews chapter 10. We've actually looked at these before, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but I think this is instructive for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, this is what God's Word says. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, some people say, I've become a Christian. I'm part of the universal church. The local church is irrelevant to me. I want to ask you, how do you do this in the universal church? You don't. How do you do those one another things we just talked about? You don't. Not unless you're connected with a local church. That is a New Testament norm. That is the expectation. And I want you to notice, here's some of the important things right here that we were just given. We are to, to, to help each other hold on to the hope. I heard a, I heard a neat little story uh, about a, a pastor whose, whose son got a helium balloon with a long string on it and was in the house, and you know how children kind of make up their own games and start giggling at them? Well, the little boy would have the balloon, and he would let it go, and it would float up to the ceiling, and then he'd climb up on the couch, get up on the arm of the couch, he'd grab the string, and he'd bring it back down to the floor to the exact same spot. He'd let it go again. And this whole process, just giggling the whole time. Well, then he took the balloon outside. And he let it go. There was no couch with an arm high enough to get that balloon back. You see, his whole paradigm shifted. If I do this, then this happens. And when something out of the ordinary took place... It rocked his world. Let me go ahead and tell you something. Your world, if it hasn't been, is going to be rocked. Your your whole paradigm is going to be shifted. There are going to be times when you are tempted to let go of the hope that you have in Christ. You need the church to come alongside you to help you hold on to the hope. It's key. It's vital. Not only that, but we read here that we are to help one another to mature in faith, that we're to help one another to mature in love, that we're to help one another to practice good deeds. How do you do that in the universal church? You don't. You do it in the local church. Shoulder to shoulder, side by side with other believers. Don't give up meeting together. You can't do that in the context of the universal church. There's no way you can do that. You can only do that in the local church. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing it, says. And encourage one another. Encourage one another. Oh, this world will grind you down. You need people who will lift you up. Encourage one another. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and who we are to be in the body of Christ, but it's also a picture of God's heartbeat for the life of the church. Do you get the sense in reading these few verses that church is simply a take-it-or-leave-it 
take it or leave it option. That it's not important, that it's not essential, that I can just visit from time to time and everything is good. I really don't need the church. No, what we read, what we discover in Scripture is that the church is the body of Christ. The church is the masterpiece of Jesus. And you, you are one of his bold strokes on a beautiful canvas that paints the kingdom of God. The church is important. The church is so important that Jesus died for the church. It is Jesus' church. He established the church. Jesus is passionate about his church. And there is nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament, any concept of free radicals in the body of Christ. Just floating around, unattached, uninvolved. It does not exist. When a person came to Christ, they were baptized and became part of a local church. You say, wait, pastor, I've got a couple of people in mind. What about the thief on the cross? Well, he died. So if you die, you got a good excuse. Okay. He didn't have a chance to join a church. What about the Ethiopian eunuch? Some of you are going, who? The Ethiopian eunuch. There was this guy from Ethiopia, very powerful, who was traveling back down from Jerusalem because he was a God-fearing man, traveling back down from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. And God sent Philip to meet him and to share from using the scroll of Isaiah to share Jesus with him. And this eunuch decided, you know what? That's true, and I need to follow Jesus and there's some water, why not baptize me? And so they stopped the chariot, got down, baptized the guy, and sent him back to Ethiopia. But you say, there you go, pastor. He didn't join a church. (laughs) Quite the contrary. Church history tells us he went to Ethiopia, and guess what he did? He started a church. He began a church. That's how important local church, one another church, fellowship is in the life of the church. And here's what God's word says. So we are in Christ form one body. The many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now, typically we focus on the first part of that verse, right? That we're all different. We're all unique. We're all gifted in various ways. God brings us together in one body. Okay, perfectly legitimate, perfectly biblical. We need to keep pounding, 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 pounding away at that. But we skip that last part. Each member belongs to all the others. We are inseparable. Let me, as pastor and father, plead with you as parents and grandparents, teach your children to value the local church. How do you do that? You have to be faithful. They're going to learn from your example, not just from what you say. If you drive by and drop them off and keep going, they're going to learn something. How do you teach your children to value the local church? 
by not going to lunch on Sunday morning and running down the pastor or the music person or your Bible study leader or the person that you saw that showed up that must be a hypocrite. I'm not telling you to lie to your kids. What I'm telling you to do is to be honest with them about God's heart for the church. How valuable the local church is because they are going to get off to a point in their lives where they begin to make their own decisions. And you, as the parent, as the grandparent, are responsible, not for what they choose, but for what you gave them that enabled them to choose. And some of you are making some great choices. When we identify ourselves with a local church, we're not only saying, I belong to Jesus, we're also saying, I belong to Jesus' family. I belong to the church. My life is now woven, woven into the life of the church. I am not an adhesive to stick on. My life is woven into the life of the church, and you have to make a commitment. Listen, you have to make this commitment. I will not allow myself to drift off. I will not allow myself to be pulled away. I will not allow myself to be distracted. I will not allow myself to be sidetracked. I will not put me ahead of we. For now, you are my responsibility and I am your responsibility. Folks, we're in this together. Anybody getting this? This is what Scripture teaches us about the local church. And, and some of you are getting it. And some of you, need, we got some catching up to do, don't we? Because this is simply not our concept of church. We've never thought about church like this. We always thought about church as a place that I go on Sunday morning. A place that I go maybe on a Wednesday or some other night of the week. I I go to drop my kids off for youth or children's programs. I go to do this. I go to do that. And we don't think about church as being. It's always doing. And if we don't get the being right, we'll never get the doing right. We are the church. We are the, the body of Christ in this community called Grace Fellowship. That's us together. And every part is important. And we are to be interwoven with one another. You remember, I, I don't know how many coaches on various teams that I've had who said this. There is no I in team. And that's true. The whole point is we're together. We're not an individual that sticks out from the rest. We all have to be the team. And there's no room for, you know, uh, people who are just trying to, to, to show off, people trying to get attention for themselves, not in team. But you know what? There is no team without the individual people in it either. And so as pastor, let me change it and put it this way. You can't spell church without you. You can't spell church without you. Amen. It's it's vital to each of us, and it's vital to the body of Christ. And so this morning, I want to wrap it up by just spending a few minutes talking about this one another fellowship that these kids came up and introduced us to this morning. This one another fellowship. Um, Because it's, it's bigger than potlucks. 
It's bigger than just meeting and eating. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. There will not be a test on this. Don't worry about that. The Greek word is koinonia. Um, That's the word that we translate as fellowship in the New Testament. Now, fellowship to be true biblical fellowship, to be true biblical koinonia, requires these three elements. Community, that is we commune together. Sharing, that is we share together in responsibility and intimacy. Now, let me explain that one. Don't want you to get that one wrong. By intimacy, I'm not talking about husband and wife intimacy. By intimacy, I'm talking about real relationships with real people. That we are not a people who feel like we have to wear masks when we come together, that we have to pretend to be somebody we're not, but that we can really connect heart to heart with one another. That's what I'm talking about with intimacy. So you can see this goes far beyond a church potluck, okay? This has nothing about barbecue and cornbread and green beans. Community, sharing, and intimacy. How do we get there? I'm going to give you some biblical principles as to how we get there that are truly not exhaustive, but just barely scratch the surface. And the first is highly value your fellow church member. Highly value your fellow church members. Romans 12 tells us, honor one another above yourselves. Folks, this is a great place to begin. This is the ultimate putting we in front of me. This is the heart of our serving one another. This is the heart of of what we do. We honor others above ourselves. We value others above ourselves. It is not about me. Does that make a difference? Absolutely. You you remember early on we talked about the giant funnel that we, many of us feel like here I am at the base of the funnel and all that is done in the life of the church is poured in so that it runs down and meets me where I am. Oh, God, I had all my needs met today. The sermon really spoke to me. The music really touched my heart. I was really blessed by what I learned at Bible study. On and on and on and on. That's the funnel. All runs down to me. All runs down to me. And we need to turn that upside down and say, wait a minute, I'm not here for me. I'm here for we. I'm going to pour this down. And now how, instead of coming and saying, what kind of blessing can I get? We're coming with the attitude of what kind of blessing can I give? Do you see how that might make a difference? Now I come in. Now I'm looking. Now I'm seeing people's lives around me. And I'm looking over and I see this person who looks absolutely down and dejected. I can either say, you know what? It's all about me. I don't want that person to bring me down. I'm just going to keep on walking, pretend like I don't see them, and head off to what I was doing. Or we can say, you know what? That person needs a little sunshine. And we can go over there and we can make a difference in their lives. Folks, it's not about me. It's about the we in Christ that we are. So highly value your fellow church members. Secondly, don't be so quick to condemn one another. That's one of the things about Grace Fellowship that I am encouraged about is that we don't put uh, too much of an outward focus on, on the way people look. We try not to judge books by the cover, so to speak. But it's easy to slip into that. It's easy to slip into that. 
I was talking with someone who was um, who is in our community, who was just saying, you know, because I was asking them about church life and and telling them that they were missed and. And, you know, basically it was like I feel like I'm judged when I come into the church. Now, I don't know if that was legitimate or not because sometimes people's feelings aren't reality, but that was their feeling. And, and I'll be interested as I probe a little deeper to discover what is it that triggered that, what was said, what was done that brought about those feelings. But somehow they felt condemned in the life of the church. That shouldn't take place. It's not that we say, hey, every, everybody's lifestyle's okay and everybody can do what they want to and it's just fine. No, we're not saying that. But what we're saying is, I'm not going to harshly judge you based on what I see or based on your past. Because, quite frankly, Jesus, uh, it says in Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ Jesus accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, you ain't such a catch yourself. You've got to remember, all of us were dead. All of us were a stinking carcass in sin. And Jesus went to the cross for us anyway. While you were still in your sins, Christ died for you. And so we need to keep that attitude as we interact with other people. Third, be patient with each other. Be completely humble and gentle, Ephesians 4 says. Be patient, bearing with one another. And that word bearing one another, bearing with one another, what that means is putting up with one another. Again, it doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable and we're not trying to move them from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's just that we understand not everybody's in the same place. Not everybody's had the same blessings we've had, the same resources we've had. There are people who really don't know the, the basic biblical stories that maybe you grew up with. And so to say something about David and Goliath, their mind will not go back to the Old Testament. Their mind, in their mind, David and Goliath has to do with an underdog in a football game. You know, the little guy taking on the big guy. No relation. Hey, there's actually a story about that. There was a real guy named David, a real guy named Goliath, a real giant. We take that for granted, many of us who grew up in church, but not everybody knows that. Not everybody's at the same place spiritually. And so we need to be patient with each other and come alongside each other and help people move from where they are to where they ought to be without being condemning about it. For help each other. Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. A burden in Scripture is, is a crushing weight that is too heavy for one person to bear. Come alongside others. Help them carry the weight. Some of you have done, done an excellent job. There, you know, sometimes the balloon, you let go of it, and it just drifts off. It doesn't fit the way life is. Life changes. Ask Don and Carol Steele. Life changes. Unanticipated, unwanted, unexpected, and devastating. Carol, can I put you on the spot? Would you want to go through this without a church? No. Help each other. Be creative and intentional 
about how you can help others, help your brothers and sisters. You may, you may not have known this next one was even in the Bible. Uh, be nice to each other. It doesn't really use the word nice, but it does say this, be kind and compassionate to one another. And that kind of means the same thing, doesn't it? Be nice to each other. We, probably, we may even quit using that word after our children grow up. You know, because we tell our kids all the time, y'all be nice to each other. I wonder if God sometimes looks down into the life of the local church and says, hey, listen, can y'all just be nice to each other? Actually care about each other? Speak kindly to each other? Now, again, I, this, I'm so blessed with this church because we're pretty nice people and we, we, we're not like this. But I got to tell you, there's some churches that it is, I mean, people, uh, when they were doing some of this, uh, this stuff in Boston, you, saw, you may have seen some of the images of the people in the, the bomb squad, the way they're decked out, I mean, head to toe, because so the, they're the ones who are going to deal with, with bombs. And I don't know if you've ever seen that. I, there's some people who spiritually come to church just like that because they're expecting shrapnel. Because they're not nice to each other. I mean, there's yelling. Uh, I, I've never been in a church meeting where yelling took place, but I've heard about them. And it probably happens more frequently than we want to talk about. And so be nice to each other. Uh, forgive each other. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgive Forgive each other. There may be some of you here who are holding on to a grudge, to something someone's done to you for a long, long time. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And then the last one, which is kind of the ribbon that ties it all together, is love one another. In Romans 13, 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, pay all your debts except this one. Continuing the continuing debt to love one another. That's something we never pay off. Continue to love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Folks, if you and I can come to grips with these one another's, because, again, the world is looking at the church, and they're saying, if you people can't get along, why do I want any part of that? If we begin to live like this, to live out this biblical definition of church, then it redefines for the world what the church is. And perhaps people who were once turned off to church now get turned on to church or at least become open to it. And if you and I begin to live that out, it does something more than tell the world that the church is better than they thought. If we begin to live as the church, as we see defined in Scripture, if we begin to live that, then something begins to change. And the first part of that change is with us. We begin to change. Our attitudes about people, about worship, about Bible study, our attitudes about prayer, they all begin to change. And instead of being a chore, they now become a delight. And instead of looking at people and being judgmental and critical, we now become we compassionate toward them, wanting to help them. 
And I mean really help them, not put a Band-Aid on it. And there are a lot of people who are looking for Band-Aids. You may have noticed I got a couple of Band-Aids and a, a fuzzy face this morning. There's a reason for that. I, I went to the doctor earlier, and he froze off some, some skin cancers on me. I had this one on my hand for a long time. I had this one on my face for a few months. And I, I thought it would be kind of weird just to have a circle of hair here and the rest of it clear. So I just said, well, we just kind of make it even all the way across. But for a long time, I'd had this, this thing, especially right here. And you know what? I could have put a Band-Aid on it at any time. I really could have. And I could have hidden it and not seen it. And guess what would have happened? It would have continued to do its work in my hand. It could have just stayed there, continued to grow. Putting a Band-Aid on it didn't fix it. And when we come into people's lives, we don't want to just give them a Band-Aid if what they have is a cancer. It needs to be treated. One of the things we talked about in my Bible study class this morning is some of you have a, a financial cancer in your lives. Your finances are killing you. And you think, if I could just get a Band-Aid to pay this bill, it would fix the problem. But, you know, it doesn't. It just covers it up for a little while until the sticky wears off. There's something deeper. There's some of you here who have spiritual issues in your lives. And, and you've, you've applied Band-Aids. Oh, if I can just, if I can just go through this, this program one more time, or if I can just go through this class one more time, that this is going to fix my issue. I'm glad some of you have said, you know what, that's not going to work for me, and have plugged into things like Celebrate Recovery and said, I need this. This, this is going to treat the cancer, not give me a Band-Aid. This is part of who we are as the body of Christ. We begin to change and help one another change, and transformation begins to change. And what happens when you begin to change? Your family begins to change. You're a different person at home. You're actually a person people want to be around for change. You're responsible. You're more godly. Instead of a curse word coming out of your mouth, it's a prayer coming out of your mouth. Your family begins to change. Your children notices it. Your husband notices it. Your wife notices it. It makes a difference. And what happens when families begin to change? Communities start to change. Schools start to change. Sports teams start to change. Who knows? If enough families get connected with this, maybe even our county commissioners' meetings could change. Here's, here, here's the point. Everything changes when the church is the church. And nothing changes if the church continues to play church. Get it now. Everything changes if the church is the church. Nothing changes if the church continues to play church. Okay, here comes the time for you to decide. Am I content with playing church? Or am I ready to be truly a member of the body of Christ, part of the church? And for that challenge, I want to borrow and adapt words spoken by Joshua a long, long time ago. And here they are. 
Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Get rid of anything and everything that would draw your affections away from God and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether it's the stuff from your past that you once thought was most important, or the trinkets and baubles that the world dangles in front of your eyes every time you turn on the TV. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The choice is yours. 